Hello and welcome to another edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod to discuss the week's big pharmacy stories are Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainers, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Rob Daracott is busy putting the May issue of P3 Pharmacy to press. Later in the pod, we'll hear from Daniel Lee, formerly of Pharmacy 2U, talking about his new venture, Habarex, the UK's first centralised automated hub-and-spoke operation for independent pharmacists. But let's start, as usual, with Good Week, Bad Week. Arthur, uh, what do you have for us? My Bad Week goes to Well Pharmacy, who uh, we have revealed are telling staff that they can come to work with COVID. Uh, We were passed an email that was sent from head office to employees uh, at the end of March saying that as of the 1st of April, uh, self-isolating after a positive COVID test is now a personal choice and that all sick pay entitlements are reverting to whatever uh, staff had before the pandemic, which I think might vary according to people's individual contracts. But fundamentally, um, there are there is no longer any financial incentive to, to self-isolate if you have a positive COVID test. It's your own choice. The, the company says it doesn't... The company is, doesn't say it's encouraging people to come to work with COVID. They encourage people to uh, be sensible, they say, and to think about kind of if, if you're too sick to work, could you you know, spread a COVID or another respiratory illness to to your colleagues or to or to patients in the pharmacy. But fundamentally, there is no requirement to isolate, and there's no requirement to test yourself twice a week, uh, which is quite a bold move for the company to make, given that the official uh, UK public health guidance for NHS healthcare staff, which, as far as we can tell, most pharmacy businesses are still complying with even even though the the legally there's no compulsion to but the guidance still says that uh patient facing staff should test themselves twice a week and isolate for five days after a positive test and only come back when they when they to work when they test negative uh when they have two consecutive negative tests uh well unfortunately did not respond to to requests for comment um which perhaps speak speaks volumes but we did hear back from the other cca member companies boots lloyds rollins tesco's and so on and they all say that they're still complying with the the government or the uk hsa guidance uh that they're advising staff members to, to work stay home from work if they're positive um so raises concerns about you know public health you know pharmacies see a lot of vulnerable people in the pharmacy uh and and also kind of potentially spreading spreading the virus to colleagues and and making them unwell um but also at the pda has has stressed the impact that it could have on the responsible pharmacists who you know are responsible for the safe uh running of 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 the pharmacy and this could kind of the pda says this could sort of place the drp in an invidious situation where they're telling staff to you know if, if the rp feels that it's unsafe to have someone with covid in in the pharmacy they're sending them home and given that there's no sort of the uh sick pay entitlements until the, until the fourth day someone is off sick now um you know and, and we're in a cost of living crisis that could be kind of a a difficult call for the rp to make especially especially if they're a locum um and it, and also kind of restricting the the number of services 
the pharmacy is able to provide um, the GPAT kind of it, the GPAT told us that it's it kind of supports it uh, it supports the positions taken by the UK health authorities. So basically, pharmacies should uh, all all registered pharmacies should be complying with. The um the the UK HSA kind of telling tell staff to isolate if, if their positive guidance is seems to be the regulator's view, but um whether or not they're going to pursue this with well is another matter. So quite a big uh quite yeah quite a bold decision from well, and again yeah I think the fact that they have been reluctant to to speak to us and kind of outline their rationale in making this decision um per, yeah speaks volumes perhaps indicates that there there's a degree of discomfort within the organization and what perhaps they feel that they're they're forced into doing this by by staff shortages or or issues of that nature who knows um because i mean because we haven't heard from them we're not we're not sure what what the story is there but uh yeah quite quite a big story and quite a big reaction to it yeah some great reporting there Arthur um and yeah in, to, important to emphasize that we, we we have gone to well for comment as you say and uh, but have had nothing back from them and yeah maybe that does speak volumes um so yeah a significant story what was the reaction um after we published it Arthur quite a big response on Twitter to the story a lot of uh pharmacists are kind of horrified <laughs> by just the idea. I mean, it's you know they're healthcare professionals. The pharmacy is a healthcare. It, it offers healthcare services. They just feel that it's kind of it's inappropriate to um to to be to be so relaxed about COVID. Um, one uh, I think he's a cancer pharmacist in hospitals on Twitter. He said that he 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 would look at perhaps um transferring his uh, transferring prescriptions away, away away from well um uh another another person said pharmacists may be in a position to choose whether to risk infecting vulnerable patients or to send staff home knowing they won't get paid in tough times saying the government should 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 uh, go back to paying statutory sick pay for um at the, at the pre-pandemic or at the at the pandemic rates um and there's, there's a bit of been a few riffs on uh, a few puns on the name is uh, obviously well pharmacy people are saying kind of unwell should they change the name to unfe- unwell pharmacy, but um, I think generally I mean a few people will say uh, there there were I was surprised there were, there were a few pharmacists who were saying well oh this is maybe it's a good call maybe we should be getting back to to, to normal but by and large the reaction has been um, uh, one of kind of shock I think saying that it's kind of not fair on staff or or on patients. Yeah, well, have certainly gone out on a limb on this one, haven't they? Uh, Neil, what did you make of it all? Yeah, it was a terrific story from Arthur. And um, yeah, I, I, it, first reaction, you know, the, the uh, I guess the, the gut reaction to it would be, you know, irresponsible. Um, you know why? Why the big question is why? And as Arthur said, you know, we haven't heard from Well, and that doesn't help things. I think Well. You know, given the <clears throat> given the ramifications um, and the con- potential consequences um, of, of what they're doing, I think they owe not just us, the press, but I think they owe it to everybody to to, to explain their, their their reasoning behind what what they're doing. Um, it's it's tempting to um, you know jump 
on them and, and say irresponsible and, and it's a terrible thing. But, I, you know, I, we don't know the reasons. And I, and it, it could be, I'm not saying this is the reason, but it, it could be, um, as, as Arthur said, you know, shortages, uh, staff workforce shortages. I mean, we've been down this road in the last few days and weeks uh, with the PDA and CCA um, toing and froing on, on the, whether there is a shortage or not. It could be that, you know, it, it does smack uh, a little bit of desperation to me, I, you know, <laughs> and we've discussed this in the office, haven't we? You know, why why on earth would they you know, ask uh, staff to come in, COVID positive or not, or, or test? You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and, and it could be that they're, they're, they're struggling with, um, you know, numbers. It does it does smack of that to me a little bit. So I think we've got to be careful, you know, not to jump straight on to well and, and and sort of you know hang them out to dry. But it would help if they if they you know, could actually clarify this for people. Silence doesn't help anything, I don't think. Yes, uh, uh, I agree. Thank you, Arthur and Neil. It, it would be helpful to, to have heard the rationale from well, but nothing from them as of yet. Uh, okay, yeah, that's a strong story to start. Right, Arthur, um, thank you for that. I'll go next. And for me, well, it's been a bad week for women's health. Um, HRT shortages have been all over the media this week, uh, as have various pharmacy representatives doing a fantastic job, actually, of, of explaining the, the supply situation. Um, you know, it's an interesting one because there have been problems with HRT availability for, for many years, as there have been with lots of medicines, as our listeners will know only too well. Shortages have been and continue to be an enormous problem. But with MPs like Carolyn Harris and Caroline Noakes being very vocal on the matter of, of HRT shortages in particular, uh, the women affected by all of this have, have formed a, a powerful political lobby. So much so, in fact, that Health Secretary Sajid Javid was moved to say he was going to create an HRT czar, which is a ridiculous idea and I think says a lot about how this government knee-jerks its way into to creating a few cheap headlines rather than properly tackling some of the, the systemic underlying issues in the medicine supply chain. I mean, pharmacists can't get hold of Gaviscon Advance or E45 itch cream relief at the moment. I, I haven't heard ministers calling for a, an indigestion czar or an eczema supremo, um, when what's needed is a, is a serious, wider strategy from the government to ensure patient access to medicines. Now, I'm definitely not making light of the situation for for patients unable to get hold of HRT because it can be particularly distressing for them. And it's led to the, the crazy situation of stories of women being forced to swap HRT medication in car parks and, and the like. And of course, it wastes such a lot of time for pharmacy teams trying to get hold of supplies and doctors not knowing what's available to prescribe. It, it's a mess. Uh, why is this happening? Well, it, it seems to be uh, a manufacturing and supply issue. Um, HRT prescribing it's more than doubled in the past five years as safety concerns have eased and the clinical need to treat menopausal symptoms has grown. Uh, there have been particular problems with Estragel and um, the manufacturer Bezins has admitted that despite delivering significant volumes of, of product into wholesalers, more than double that of a year ago, uh, current supplies are still insufficient to meet the extraordinary demand in their words, and they promised to increase production, but of course that's a, a long-term thing. So, uh, well, what else can be done in the here and now? Well, better communication between suppliers and pharmacy and between GPs and pharmacists, that always helps. And there has been talk of having a, a national formulary, but I'm not sure how realistic that is. But here's a radical idea. What if pharmacists 
experts in medicines, of course, could use their clinical skills to make prescribing decisions and supply equivalent alternative preparations. Just a thought. Probably won't catch on. Um, incidentally, really good source of information for both patients and healthcare professionals about the HRT supply situation uh, is the British Menopause Society website. Lots of information on there. Um, so I would check that out. Uh, on, a, on a separate subject in the women's health area, I was also going to talk about the proposed Pontypi switch of Arquette 2.5 milligram tablets, oxybutynin. Uh, for overactive bladder in women, uh, and that's ruffled a few feathers because of concerns about the safety profile. Uh, but I'm out of time, so uh, I'll save that for another pod. So bad week for me for women's health. Uh, Neil, then, do you want to finish off? Good week or bad week? Well, I've I've gone for hub and spoke. Um, now I'm I'm doing this purely, well, basically for selfish reasons we we know there's a consultation going on at the moment we, no conclusions have been um drawn because this is i think it runs until june the consultation but i i've picked up and spoke um purely because you know we've run on icp uh three very um uh, frank and, and quite brutally critical uh stories about hub and spoke um not good pr for the for the for the, for the model at all um so we we ran a, a, an interview with um, Ashley Cowan at AAH and uh, a very um, I, I mean I was fairly surprised at his response to I mean I I personally expected a different view from you know a wholesaler and and and, and uh, you know one of the big companies but he was completely a you know uh, it, it, well. This is what he said. He said, government and, and others have rushed into this solution to say it's brilliant and can free up pharmacists' time. But think about some of the very small pharmacies, those that live above the shop, countryside pharmacies. They're going to give their dispensing work to a great big machine in the middle of the country. What will they save? Nothing. The pharmacist is still going to be out there opening the shop in the morning, closing it in the afternoon, doing all their work, putting away all their, doing all their ordering, looking after their patients. But they've got to think about what is going on to drive their efficiencies. So he, he was completely, I mean, wrong footed me. I, mean, I, I didn't expect that from, from uh, Ashley, but, you know, very much, uh, well, more than, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, it, 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 very, very um, strong view. The other, um, the other uh, view we had uh, came into us. We ran a, an opinion piece, another really strong opinion piece from Addie Williams, who's uh, based in Bristol. Um, I know our listeners are very familiar with Addie. Um, and again, you know, he I mean, it comes on the back of what he said at the pharmacy show last year about the um, impact, potential impact of having spoke on independence margins and uh, and and um, you know the control they have over that side of the business. And he said, um, you know, automation hub and spoke would become viable options for everyone to explore. Um, those CPCS referrals, though, never materialised in the in the expected numbers. Um, amid the tempest that community pharmacy seems to be unable to escape from, many independents have doubled down on the things they can control, i.e. cost and margins. When trying to form opinions on the merits of hub and spoke proposals being consulted on, these two factors will come to the fore. And I think that it, that really does, I mean, and I, I can understand if you know I'm not a pharmacist, but I, I completely understand if I was an independent running a, a, a small pharmacy um, wherever it is in the UK, I would be you know very um, thinking very hard about this. In fact, you know I'll come to this in a minute. The the, the last um, article we had uh, on the hub as well. But if I you know in recent weeks, I've this is only my personal view. I'm, I'm coming round to the the way of thinking that it's it really is beginning to look more of a, a threat to independence than it is a beneficial um, uh, concept. I, you know, I, I would be probably be looking, turning my head away from this if I was an independent. 
So if Rob was here, he he would say that it's uh, an unconventional position to argue for an unlevel playing field. And even if the legislation goes through, um, hub and spoke won't be mandatory. All of us have had different views on this. I'm sure we've kind of ummed and ahed and changed our minds and, you know, and looked, seen the benefits, but also the opposite. But I've, I've really, you know, gone gone the other way. And I, and I've, and I think it's a really, um, you know, well, a serious, a serious thing. The, the other um, uh, interview we did was with Hardik Desai, um, the Hardik uh, Community Pharmacist in Tyshurst Pharmacy. He he won our um, Extra Mile Award, uh, the Independent Pharmacy Awards last year at the House of Commons, and he uh, again just brutally uh, frank. I mean, he said it. Uh, if I could just scroll down and find the article, but um, he, he basically said it's going to destroy independent pharmacy. Um, I, you know, some people might think that's quite strong language, but I, you know, it, it's something, it, it's not going, to, it's going to take away the dispensing income from pharmacists. Um, and it's going to have a really, really profound effect. Um, Hub and Spoke is going to destroy independent community pharmacy. The government is trying to take away dispensing work from pharmacists so we can work on services, but Hub and Spoke is not the answer. Uh, and that's what Hardik said. And, you know, three really, really, really strong um uh, views that that we've published this week on on Hub and Spoke. Um, now I, I did listen to your Richard your um, interview with Daniel Lee at Hub RX, uh, and I've got a lot of time for Daniel Lee. You know, when we, I'm an entrepreneurial uh, guy, very sharp, bright. Um, you know, we know what he did with um, you know pharmacy to you, um, fantastic. He's a businessman as much as a, as a pharmacist, and, he, and he's he's very bright. But I can understand why he's pushing it. Um, you know, he's he's got he wants to make money. Yes, he wants. In, as he will tell you, he wants independent uh, community pharmacies to to thrive and 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 do well. But not surprising to hear him say during the, the interview he did with you, Richard, that, you know that he doesn't think that Hub and Spoke will have any impact on on um, on margins. Uh, I think he described it as a, a, a he said it, it's a disproportionate feeling that he had that, that that it will that it will change retain margins. Um, he thinks it will have a limited impact, um, but. What I would challenge Daniel Lee uh, on some of these observations is where's the evidence for what he's saying? Uh, um, you know, I think there are, I'm not saying there's firm evidence for the other side of the argument that it will, you know, squeeze and, and reduce margins, but what, where is the evidence for what he's saying? Um, he's saying a lot of strong stuff. You know, if you're going to make comments, let's let's have some research. Has he done research into into the limited effect that it will have on margins, that it won't have, you know, it won't, but we're all, we're all kind of getting this out of proportion and, and getting carried away with this. So I've got a lot of time for him, but I just think we need we need some evidence. But I suppose that's what the consultation's about, isn't it? So um, it's not been a great week for Hub and Spoke. And thanks very much, Neil, for uh, for trailing my, uh, my Daniel Lee interview. That's a nice link. So let's listen to what Daniel has to say now. We're going to play a couple of extracts from the conversation I had with Daniel earlier on in the week, and we'll release the full interview next week. And I started by asking him to explain the thinking and the business model behind Habarex. Uh, Richard, thanks for having me. Um, I'm looking forward to a, a lovely discussion with you this, this morning. So Habarex, as you rightly said, is uh, automated dispensing for independent pharmacies. We are really excited to be able to look at helping community pharmacies transform um, from a dispensing-led model uh, to one that is going to be uh, moving into clinical services. And to be able to do that, I think we're all aligned in this uh, within the industry um, that uh, pharmacists uh, need to, to be reskilled, 
uh, and, and, and retrained and upskilled to be able to utilize the, um, the, the, the key training that they've had so that we can um, uh, free up their capacity so they can focus on what they're good at. Uh, and um, HubRx has been created and developed now for um, over two years where we're building the single largest automated pharmacy facility, which will be fully integrated um, uh, into uh, initially um, the PMRRX web, uh, but hopefully other PMRs to follow too. Um, and so the, 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 the primary focus here is, is all about uh, capacity creation for the pharmacist, but ultimately um, one of the key uh, sticking points previously with, with uh, Hub and Spoke was the fact that um, pharmacists were were reluctant to move into this model, feeling that it was just the large wholesalers that were going to do this. So for the first time, and I think this is quite unique with our business model, is that this is transparent pricing that's going to be passing the purchase margin through to the independent pharmacists. So increasing profitability for the pharmacist, freeing up capacity, um, and um, allowing them to, to have the space, the empowerment, the purpose to deliver uh, on pharmacy services moving forward. We're not saying that um, that using a hub is for is for everybody. It's a choice um, for for those pharmacists that want to move into the future. I think burying your head in in the sand and feeling uh, that you can just rely on dispensing income and just what's within the NHS envelope is going to sustain your business for the future. Not embracing technology, not embracing change, not embracing um, what the patients want is 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 a position that I think is untenable. I think you just got to look at the economy of scale. Um, having run the largest um, pharmacy in, in the UK for many years, I, I know uh, what margins are um, able to be purchased. So at scale, you're able to um, um, purchase uh, much I think more efficiently and more accurately with with better forecasting um rather than i think either using the traditional sort of tender processes or even now using the sort of latest cascades which feel, you know lock you into to certain suppliers so um it's it's just a matter of economy of scale if we're looking at each hub looking after 200 pharmacies a million items and you are a small independent either you know one to ten pharmacies the opportunity of us being able to purchase uh, the large majority of your of your requirement and passing that through to you is more attractive than you thinking I can hold on to it and still you know still do the same. What we've got to do is change the mindset, Richard. That's that's operating in community pharmacy, and there'll be some that do. And I'll reiterate this through the conversation. This may not be for for, for everybody. We're not saying this. The legislation change isn't then imposing that, that pharmacies have to do this. This is for those that are finding that they are too busy, that they're too stressed, that they're focusing on, um, you know, on dispensing income and dispensing um, fees of, 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 you know, of, of what that is, um, and, and not focusing on on the the higher margin, higher clinical services where where their focus and their training is. And and we know that pharmacists, and I've spoken to many um, over the years, and and a lot more recently are feeling you know, overwhelmed, uh, underpaid, under-resourced, um, and you know, don't have that sense of purpose driven out of university that they are now prescribers in many cases, uh, not getting that satisfaction of, 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 of doing what they're trained to do. So the days of picking a product, labeling it and handing it out um, have to be uh, assigned to the past, freeing up your capacity, 
subcontracting or uh, you know to to a, a a facility that can um in many ways do it more accurately do it more efficiently but certainly do it more cost effectively uh, is the future and pharmacists need to embrace that technology and that's that's what i think i'm urging uh through you and to your listeners today that um that this this is inevitable um, now, just finally, Daniel, many pharmacists, of course, will remember that you founded Pharmacy to You back in 1999, I think, and uh, oversaw its growth into the, the UK's largest online pharmacy. So not necessarily independent's favourite company, and indeed got itself into a bit of hot water in 2016 over the, the patient data sale. Um, do you think your reputation could count against you in your new venture? Um, I'm, well, I'd, I'd hope not. I think, um, you know, you, you learn as, as, as you get experience and, and you benefit from, from the wisdom and, and uh, the mistakes that you made. And I think if you, you know, if you don't make mistakes and you're not trying hard enough, hard enough. Uh, I'm very proud of, of my achievements at Pharmacy Chew. Um, and I would hope that the independent pharmacists have, have seen the growth at Pharmacy Chew and seen the technology that has enabled them to be able to do that. And the fact that I'm uh, I'm rebuilding, um, uh, you know, with with HubRx and offering that into independent pharmacies, they can see that they they can also benefit from that. So you'd think that um, whilst pharmacy was disruptive and is disruptive into in, into independent pharmacy, uh, there's a lot of, that that um, pharmacy can learn from from what we've re-engineered and what we've developed and transformed over the years so um, hopefully they will they'll see that this is uh, a force for good and i have to say it's it's, it's nice to be welcomed by pharmacists uh, for a change I've, I've found it really refreshing that i can walk into a pharmacy or walk into a um, a professional industry meeting um and not not have um some some, some awkward moments so it's uh, it's been really it's been really quite refreshing to be honest that was Daniel Lee there from HubRx, and the full interview with Daniel can be heard in next week's podcast. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of Talking Pharmacy. My thanks to Daniel, Arthur and Neil. All the Talking Pharmacy podcasts are available to download from the Pharmacy Magazine website or your usual podcast provider. But for now, thanks very much for listening.